I think someone from the predecessor of Apex had reached out to me and said, hey, would you think about selling your business? And any business owner can tell you, and I'm sure this is probably fresh in people's minds after COVID, you know what? Forget this. I can do something better. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. And, and realistically, all business owners have those thoughts. The question is, how long do those thoughts last? Is it a day? Is it a week? If it lasts longer, then maybe that's a, a real sign. But I think at the time I was just discouraged, but I kept pressing on. However, doing some of the paperwork just to even get a valuation made me aware of what it takes to value a business. So I wasn't willing to pay for a valuation at the time because I wasn't really thinking about selling. back to the Apex Business Advisors podcast. I am your host, Andy Cavanaugh, joined as always by Doug Hubler. Doug, we have a guest again today. Yeah, we do. Repeat guest. I think we, I think we heard from this voice just a couple of weeks ago. It was so brilliant the first time that how can we bring him back again? So Stephen Heiner is our guest today, and we wanted to bring Stephen on because well, as being brilliant, he used Apex Business Advisors to sell his business years ago. So it, it made sense to have him come on and talk about kind of the whole experience, the history. Yeah, and so part of our Anatomy of a Deal um, series is we've heard from buy-side broker, we've heard from sell-side broker, we've heard their stories together. What we haven't heard from is from a real-life seller. And so we thought that it would be fun to bring Steven on to talk about his experience selling his business through Apex. So Steven, welcome back. Thank you. And I, I love to claim the mantle of first repeat guest on the Apex Business Advisors podcast. Before we get into the selling process and stuff like that, give us a little bit of background about the business that we're going to be talking about. Anything you're willing to share? I know that it, it's been quite some time, so I don't know if confidentiality is still something that we want to respect, but you know, tell us about the business and how you started it and we'll, we'll pick it up from well, there. I think one of the joys about doing this particular episode is we won't have to go into the normal vagaries of business brokerage, which is an educational institution in the Midwest region. <laughs> you know, I get to say it was a test prep company right. in Kansas City. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it was a, a second iteration of three iterations of different test prep companies I would do. It was the one that I would build in Kansas City. And one of the, I had been building it in California before, but at some point I decided to move to, to Kansas City for personal reasons. And the numbers that were very relevant to me as someone who would help students get ready for the SAT or ACT were school district spends per student. And Shawnee Mission and Blue Valley spent lavishly on per, per student, and I'm sure they still do, uh, and that matched some of the best school districts out in Southern California where I was. So I thought, well, this is fertile ground. And what was interesting to me was there was no big player in this space, which anybody who's building a business knows that that can be very good and that can be very bad. And if there is no large player in the space, it could mean that a large player has realized there's no market to be had here. Or in the rare case, you are first to market. Or it's a market where some, in, in the particular, my particular case, my biggest competitor was the Princeton Review, and they had a Chicago office, and they occasionally would 
would work with, with Kansas City people, but there was no big player in the space. And later on, I would find out through different conversations of, of players at the Princeton Review was that it was, it, they didn't think it could be more than $5 million a year in revenue, which was under their radar. So they had an office in St. Louis and they had an office in Chicago. Kansas City wasn't on their radar, therefore. And you think, okay, well, $5 million, sure, that's not a lot of money, but it's plenty of money for a Main Street business. $5 million of recurring annual revenue is nothing to sneeze at, right? So I didn't know that at the time, but I just started in, I think, a basement room on 87th Street. It was very much Class B office space in a basement and started just trying to offer classes to people. I, you know, We would say, we'll teach the classes for free, but you have to cover the cost of your books. The idea being that if any one of those students told a friend that he or she would then bring in another paying client. And I got very fortunate in that some of the very big private schools in Kansas City had students that were very excited about this. Uh, I even I think one of our students told us that it was announced uh, over the school announcements and she pretended she had to go to the bathroom and then she went to the bathroom and registered for the class online <laughs> so that she could be because we, we only offered a limited number of spots for for these classes because one of the, the selling points of the company was smaller classes. But in any case, we we did different things to make sure we got in front of people and within six or seven months we had really exploded in popularity, mostly among the top private schools in Kansas City, but also among the top public schools as well. And I came to Kansas City in 2006. So 2007 was when a lot of the success started to happen. Something happened in 2008, as people might remember. And what that meant for us was progress. We didn't continue to have hockey stick progress. We, we leveled off, but we would find out later that that was good for purposes of what buyers were looking at when they were looking at our narrative. But at the time I was living through it, you know, so I wasn't thinking about a future possible sale, but things were bad enough that I think someone from the predecessor of Apex had reached out to me and said, Hey, would you think about selling your business? And any business owner can tell you, and I'm sure this is probably fresh in people's minds after COVID, you know what? forget this. I can do something better. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. And and realistically, all business owners have those thoughts. The question is, how long do those thoughts last? Is it a day? Is it a week? If it lasts longer, then maybe that's a, a real sign. But I think at the time I was just discouraged, but I kept pressing on. However, doing some of the paperwork just to even get a valuation made me aware of what it takes to value a business. So I wasn't willing to pay for evaluation at the time because I wasn't really thinking about selling. But then 2011, 2012 come into my life. And at this time, I was finishing an MBA at SLU while trying to expand the company into St. Louis and Omaha. So I want you to imagine weekends teaching in Omaha or St. Louis and then in, uh, in Kansas City. I then moved to St. Louis during the week. So I would be in St. Louis Monday through Friday or Sunday night through, let's say, Friday morning. I would come back to Kansas City, teach on the weekends. And during that year, being in MBA classes, by the way, being the only entrepreneur in any of my MBA classes, because I think I had a fundamental insecurity, my undergraduate degrees in literature. So I said, well, I have to go to business school to learn about <laughs> business, don't I? And just listening to how 
the students, the way that they would talk about business problems just blew my mind because I would never have ever thought about it that way. And getting an MBA was probably just as much useful to me about learning some fundamentals that I'd had to learn on the job over the years. I remember one time calling my accountant saying, hey, could we can we reclassify this as contributed capital? And she said, uh, sure, but why would we want to, you know, where'd you learn about that? I said, I just learned about it in my accounting class. <laughs> uh, and so uh, there were some basic business insecurities that were filled in by getting this MBA, but I think it was just useful to me to realize what was waiting on the other side, like some cushy corporate job was never anything that was going to satisfy me. The conversations I would have with my classmates, they were not exciting about where their career paths were for me. This idea of working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week for other people. I could certainly do it for myself, apparently, but but not for corporations. So, however, what that meant was things were shifting in my mind such that by the time I finished my MBA, and in spring 2012, I was pretty tired. That tired in your bones feeling, if business owners are listening to this, you just, you know that you are no longer as excited as you were. And uh, I don't know how, because I'm sure it feels differently for different business owners. Some different, some business owners might feel it over a period of time. They may be more sensitive to this, or it may be for someone like myself, where I just woke up one morning and said, you know what, I, I'm just not as excited as I used to be. And I don't know how much longer I can put up a facade to my employees because I have a, an energy and a spirit that my employees know, know about. And the minute it starts to tone down, they're going to notice that as well in a small business. And is that, is that the the decision that it was time to time to start looking at selling is kind of when you had that feeling. I, I did. And so I had reached out to Doug at that time. Now, Doug and I were connected by other things. I think at that point, at least one of his children was looking at getting test prep anyway. But he was also mm-hmm. friends with people I was long-term networking buddies with. So I remember um, you had Sean on the pod recently. And Sean and I met on like 135th and something, like two weeks into him starting his business. Because people had told him, hey, you should talk to Stephen Heiner. He's in like 12 chambers of commerce. (laughs) And so we had this discussion about, you know, which chambers are good and, and, and what I was finding out about networking. But Sean was my business coach, uh, Keith Steiniger. There were other people who I Mm. worked with as they were my vendors. They knew Doug, they were in organizations with Doug. And I think I just known Doug generally. And so I reached out and I said, well, you know, I'm thinking about selling. And his idea was, well, why don't you get evaluation? And at that point, I was like, okay, well, sure. And I think that should be the theme of this discussion, which is the, okay, sure, we'll see. And I, it wasn't as if I must sell or, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to crash in, in, in two weeks or two months. I think it was just, okay, well, let's see what, what, what happens. We send it out. I think the valuation comes back in a couple weeks. And Doug calls with this note in his, in his voice of, hey, I, this looks pretty good. And I have to say it was better than I expected. And for service-based businesses, people can know it's anywhere between a one and three X multiple on EBITDA, but let's say two to just split the difference. And I think the multiple came back for us at 2.7 or 2.9, but something that raised Doug's eyebrow definitely raised my eyebrows because I'd never been, been subject to this before. So he said, I think things are good. It was 2012 as well. I think there were some discussions about capital gains. So it was one of those closed, you know, close them years. And 
I said, okay, well, if we have a valuation, do you want to, you know, take it to market? And it was, it was starting to become in the middle or back of my mind because I was planning a trip with my sister to Spain for three weeks. And we put it on the market and we had a meeting with a gentleman maybe three or four days before I left on that trip. Now he had been looking, he had, uh, he was working with Apex as a, as a buyer for I think 18 months. And he had been legitimately interested in maybe five or six businesses, put in offers on two or three and had at least one or two deals fall through. And one of them was with a, I think, you know, chemicals, like a pool chemicals company to, to just illustrate the fact it didn't matter to him whether, you know, whether it's test prep business, a, you know, long he was just looking for a good company. He was looking for a good company. He'd been in the corporate rat race for a number of years. His wife's, uh, an, you know, accounting genius. And his idea was, I'm going to buy a few businesses, efficientize the back ends, you know, keep some of that arbitrage, et cetera. And we had a good meeting, seemed like a friendly guy. I mean, as a seller, you don't know what a good buyer is like. And I left for my trip with, with what I would call step three in this process. So if step one is valuation and step two is go to market, then step three would, I would push it back and say, this should have been my step zero, which is read books about the process. Because every person like myself, who's a rookie, you know, business owner, seller, we don't know what we don't know. It's vast. And at the time, actually, in 2012, there were not a lot of books out there. There's some, you know, Harvard Business uh, Press sort of basic books like How to Sell a Business. And it was very color by numbers, but it wasn't qualitative. It was very helpful quantitatively, like you must do this. This is what diligence looks like. But since 2012, there have been three books that have come out which i really strongly recommend and coincidentally have been refused on the on have, have been reviewed on the blog one is called uh before the exit by dan andrews another recently came out by uh, john warlow called the art of selling your business and then there's one by bo burlingham which which name is escaping me at the moment but it's about uh it's about selling your business and those three books they wouldn't have changed anything, I think, for me qualitatively and quantitatively in the sale, but it would be silly for me not to recommend it to anyone who's serious about selling your business because it's so there's so much information there. And those books will cover the gamut from a main street business to a high-end middle market business. So the Bo Burlingham book, I think, will address more of the middle market, let's say your five, ten million dollar annual revenue business, as opposed to my business, which was very much a main street business. So anywhere between five hundred thousand to a couple million in annual revenue. So jumping back to when Stephen came through the door to you, Doug, what what's your recollection of how that process went? I think one of the things that happened when when we connected, uh, I remember going to lunch and and talking about uh, where he was at. And I think he was tired. I remember that, you know, we were talking about how tired you were and, and it rings a bell because you were really, you were, you were running that business. It was very much dependent on you. And we were discussing how to make the business marketable. Even if we get evaluation, you still have to look to see how, you know, how can we make the business more appealing to to buyers and putting someone that you trusted in place to run the day-to-day -day operation 
and you made that move. I think that was big for you. It allowed you some time to focus on other things while we were, but we had to, but also had to spend some time on that. It couldn't be just, oh, I'm going to put that person in place and then next week go to market. So there was kind of a time period where we, we kind of worked through that and said, okay, now's the right time because that person was trained. They were there. They were committed to the business. I think you'd made her president, I think, of the business. Or She was already working in leadership, but I told her, I said, I think you can take over as head of the company. Now, keeping in mind, this girl was, I think at the time, 23, 24, Claremont McKenna graduate, really smart, and had already been one of our instructors who had been working on the inside. But I told her, I said, here's a not great salary to start, okay? However, I guarantee that things will probably be different with the new owner and I'm gonna give you some stake in this sale. So you're gonna have some upside if this does happen. And I'm gonna be here every step of the way if you don't feel comfortable. So it's, it it was almost, you don't normally get to be the executive of a small business a couple years out of undergrad. Right. And so for her, I thought the incentive was worth it. You will be a little underpaid early on, but you're going to get experience that is not duplicatable on a resume. None of your peers are going to have this opportunity. So I was really glad she said yes. (laughs) And as, as Doug noted, she said yes a couple months before we went to market. So she was, let's say, running the company with an with a salary that we could say yes that's that person and that could go up after you take over but uh, we didn't go to market without that solution in place and and her knowledge of it too which was important because that was also a selling point for the buyer yeah you don't want your key employees to be be shocked especially in in this particular case because it needed as doug said that transition for it to be viable So yes, and we say this all the time on the blog, we say it all the time in the podcast, confidentiality is probably the most important thing. However, in this particular case, if I wasn't able to transition to having systems in place without me, then there wouldn't be anything to sell anyway. So we had to prudentially figure out the confidentiality thing, but I still would recommend confidentiality against my own example. Right, right. All right, we're going to hit the pause button right there, and we will come back next week to hear the rest of the story from Stephen. We're going to hear about the valuation process, obtaining offers, getting offers, and evaluating those offers, where he was when he received his offers. Much more to come with Stephen Heiner on the anatomy of a deal and what it was like to work with Apex. For now, though, we want to send you, as we always do, to our website. That's kcapex.com. That's where you're going to find everything that you need to know about buying or selling a business, including the blogs that Stephen writes, podcasts that we have here, how to get in touch with any of the brokers in the office, and of course, our active listings. So until next week, if you are looking at buying or selling a business, we got you, fam. Fam.